Welcome to the Movies to Watch Before You Die podcast. My name is Gab, and I am here with my cousin and co-host, Dylan. And we are here to talk about movies that we believe are ones to watch before you die. The reason you are listening to Dylan and I talk about these movies is because I am a former actor with a degree in performance and a vast knowledge of script analysis, plot devices, character development, etc. And Dylan. And I am a former video editor who went to school for film and also just has a passion for it, like I hope you do, dear listener. So as I've now said in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to keep going with it, open up your ear holes because we're, we're putting some words in them. <laughs> I just feel like I nailed that so hard. <laughs> you honestly were doing so well that I was like, oh, no, I'm going to ruin it with some stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I started thinking like, oh, my God, it's just it's flowing. And I had one moment <laughs> where I had to close my eyes and think like, oh, what am I going to say here? And it, it I feel like you're the only one who points out the visual things that you do. <laughs> I'm like, I'm never going to point that out. But yes, I saw you like need a moment to find it, and you did. And I literally, I hope Gab could see it. I was on the other side of the Zoom, just giving like thumbs up and like where you go type yes. hand signals. Yeah, it was really like the support was it was palpable. So thank good, you. Good. So this week we are talking about honestly, what I would say is a probably a pretty divisive subject. Um, I wouldn't say I would say a divisive filmmaker. Yeah. Divisive filmmaker. Um, we are talking about one of my favorite movies from one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, and that is the, oh, what year is this? 75? 75. The 1975 classic Woody Allen's Love and Death. <laughs> like, I just assumed, I assumed you were going to add something you want me to, to just go? <laughs> oh, like, I just you figured you were going to be like. Would you like me to go to our next segment and talk about what this movie's about um yeah i just thought you were gonna say something about woody allen or i don't know give oh no i figured we'll wait until opinion time to get into to get into woody allen a bit more. all right all right so all right 1975 woody allen love and death dylan what's it all about what's this all been about what am i working toward you think you know everything about me don't you i die but you're bottom i bloody well ought to Love and Death is about Woody Allen, who let's just talk about him now. No, I'm just kidding. We're getting into <laughs> But what it's about is really kind of nothing. Like, I feel like at the end of the day, it's about Woody Allen and Diane Keaton's characters wanting to slight spoilers, kill Napoleon. Do I think that that's ultra important to this movie? Not really. It's also about Woody Allen being in love with his cousin, which feels also a little weird. Oh, my God. But it's it's just really. It is a lot of connected. Hilarious bits, you know what I mean? Like, is there a very important overarching story to this? Not really, but like at the end of the day, it's about the. Russo Frank war. I'm so excited because for the first time in podcast history. I get it and you don't. <laughs> I get the big picture and you have missed so much. This is like my version of when I didn't know that RoboCop was a satire. <laughs> go go ahead. Do you want to explain to me what it's no, about? No, no, no. Why don't you read the IMDb thing so we can keep this train on the tracks? Okay. The IMDb plot summary. In Tsarist Russia, a neurotic soldier and his distant cousin formulate a plot to assassinate Napoleon. 
distant cousin Dylan. Okay, distant. That's a very that word's carrying some weight because I'm like, <laughs> why even introduce them as cousins? Well, um, I feel like in that time period and in that culture, like that was normal. We're all cousins if you go back far enough, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you want any of the taglines? Yes, please. The comedy sensation of the year, which one hundred percent boy as as bland as a tagline gets, though. Life in Russia, the way Tolstoy didn't tell it. Mm. Meh. Those are those are some whack taglines. That's all they have. That's it. Okay. Um. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm I'm chomping at the bit. Should we get to opinion time? Go right ahead. In this critic's opinion, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. First of all, this is not my opinion. This is a fact. Um, the movie Love and Death is based on two books about um, Russia, yes. life in Russia, the um, Russo-Franco War. What, what is it? Rush, Russo-Franco War. Russo Franco. Franco. It's not about James or Dave Franco. Franco yeah, is like Russo the French. Franco. <laughs> um, uh, no, but it's based slightly on crime and punishment and mm-hmm. war and peace. War and is, is it war and peace? Yes, it's okay. war and peace. War and peace and crime and punishment. Crimes and punishment. Um, so yeah. it's a play on that literature and that yeah. style of literature and that and those topics. Now. Let's talk a little bit about the plot, what happens in the movie. Of course, Woody Allen wrote, directed, and starred in this piece. He is playing... Spoilers, of course, as well. Yeah, spoilers. I mean, listen, this movie's been out since 1975. If you haven't watched it yet, (laughs) you're late. To be fair, I like had never... This is a Woody Allen movie that I feel like I had never heard of. Yeah. You know, and it's so interesting, too, because this movie is kind of revered as the turning point for Woody Allen, where his films go from slapstick comedy to having like a very... Um, like specific and I, I always want to use the word poignant and we have discussed already that I don't know what that word means. Well, I feel like it, it's I, what it is, is turning more from the physical slapstick humor to more lofty humor about uh, greater ideas than Yes, just, you know, correct. funny physical stuff, which it's more intellectual. It's a mix of both in here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So this is kind of when he first starts exploring that. Woody Allen, of course, plays the lead, Boris Grushenko. He is a poor Russian, sort of like middle class person. Um, his family is all crazy. He is a pacifist. He is fascinated with women, but afraid of them. He is a romantic. He is a, um, just like your average Joe. And you find out in the beginning that at some point he has like a, a an experience where he sees death and then he becomes obsessed with death and he is going, he has to go to war to fight the French. Um, even though he's a pacifist, he's afraid of war. He doesn't want to go. He winds up becoming a war hero in a series of silly events where he is, I don't know, I guess, accidentally i don't know he, he finds himself he a war hero, war hero? Well, i mean it just feels like it's not necessary in this moment it's um, definitely not he winds up marrying the object of his affection who is his cousin again that was normal at the time sonia who is um in love with his sort of like idiot brother the idiot brother dies. She agrees to marry him because he's she agrees to marry Woody Allen because Woody Allen is uh, 
going to be in a duel with another man who is definitely going to kill him. Of course, he doesn't kill him. Sonia and Boris get married. And then they come up with the plot, the plan to kill Napoleon to end the war. And this is really what this movie is about. The movie is a discussion about morality, much in the same way that War and Peace and Crime and Crimes and Misdemeanors or crime, crime and punishment, crimes and misdemeanors is a different Woody Allen movie. Yes. Um, much how these pieces of literature discuss morality. So the real central question in this movie is, is it okay to commit a murder if the person you're killing is a bad person? You know, it's sort of like that conversation that people have where it's like, would it have been a crime to murder Hitler before the Holocaust? Yeah, well, you know, is it okay to kill baby Hitler? Um, right. But it's also, they had that discussion many times where it's immoral. Morality is subjective. Subjectivity is objective. You know what I mean? And they go back right. and forth of that right. at least two or three times. Yeah. And it's very funny because the, the conversation goes very quickly into like this very pseudo intellectual lofty dialogue that nobody can really fully understand. That feels very out of place. But it is really the first time that he begins asking those questions. And those questions come up a lot in his movies. There's also questions about love. Like, can you can you fall in love with somebody um, that maybe you're not initially attracted to? Is marriage a an important part of life to, to have one partner? Is Are we not meant for that? Um, it's, there are just so many central questions that this is the really the first time in Woody Allen's career that he begins posing. And it's done in a way that is very funny, very silly. There's a lot of like Monty Python-esque humor, but I, I think there's a lot all... to unpack. Um, I guess there is. It's interesting. It's much in the way that like, you're right. You know, it's, it's interesting. Cause I'm thinking about Robocop and when I watch Robocop, I see so much more to it than I feel like you had saw when you watched it. Yeah. And I feel like as you're describing this movie to me, I'm like, yeah, it's talking about those things, but it's not like it is not leaving a lot of time for people to reflect on those things. To me, it was like, oh, well, we're on to the next joke. Like it, it would yes, briefly introduce the idea while also just joking. Well, and I think that's sort of his like style, like that's his very unique way of discussing these heavy topics. Very similar to, you know, a person that you might have met in college or known now where they might say something kind of like serious and heavy and then immediately lighten the mood with a joke. Um, and I think he as a person, again, I don't know him like, a, you know, this is a very. um Damn, was it you and I on the podcast that we're talking about those relationships? No, that was the the cult podcast that I've been listening to. Um, there are like these relationships that we have with celebrities where we feel like we know them, but yeah. they don't even know that we exist. Um, you know, my relationship with Woody Allen is very much that. But as a human being, he is very anxious. He has a lot of neuroses. He's very afraid of death. He's very... Um, over analytical about things but he's also always kind of lightening the mood with a joke um so he's very self-deprecating and then like but you know da, da, da. does that make sense it does it's like you know a lot of the time the people who you know are making the biggest jokes are feeling the most deeply about some things because sure. it's like you know it's it's a coping mechanism yes yes yeah yeah. So I think that is just his inherent style in all of his films. His I mean, he's always playing himself, right? Yeah, like, I, I do think if I think about like a more recent Woody Allen movie, like, you know, the best example that comes to my mind is Midnight in Paris. Great movie. It is much more of a 
there's much more of a narrative to it than there was to something like this. Yes. Yeah. And his earlier films like Bananas and Sleepers are even more kind of all over the place where they don't really have a lot of substance, but they're very silly. Um, This is very much the first time that he starts to put a little bit of substance there, but it's still very funny. Have you seen Annie Hall? I have not. So Annie Hall is obviously one of the most revered films in history. Um, And it is silly, but it's far more serious than this. The humor is peppered in much more lightly. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously that comes after this. But I think ultimately what this movie does really, really well is discuss a lot of pretty big philosophical topics but do so in a way that isn't boring or tired or like, you know, whenever I think about philosophy, I think of like old men with beards kind of like sitting down at a at a table and discussing like how men should behave. And, you know, I think this addresses those topics and those things that we still to this day talk about and debate and ask, you know, is there a God? Um, does life have meaning? What happens after we die? All of those things. And it just does it in such a way that's so like silly and funny and ultimately kind of leads you to believe that like life is what you make it. And I think you reap what you sow. I mean, the very final scene in this movie is his, it's a very famous Woody Allen shot where Boris Grushenko and death are sort of dancing off together Um, into the distance and he has died he was executed for killing napoleon which is a crime he did not commit spoiler 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 um and ultimately like he seems to be pretty happy and so you know i think there's a lot to unpack there well it's very much based on that is specifically based on um ingmar berman Mm -hmm. movie the seventh seal death uh he plays death in a chess game and it's obviously you know it's very famous and you know, it's not something I've ever watched, but I know the scene and I like yes. I recognize the iconography. Um, I do think it's very interesting. There's a couple of times where he talks to people who are already deceased and, you know, it's usually done in a very funny way. But I think what's interesting is the people who are dead are still like very concerned with things that don't matter. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or making comparisons yeah. to things that don't matter. Like, I, I know it's like right at the very end of the movie is like, you, you know. How is it being dead? She asked him. He goes, you know, the chicken at this place. And she goes, yeah, it's worse than that. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. um, You know, it was, did I get a lot philosophically from the movie? Definitely not. Um, Did I think it was very funny at times? Yeah. At times I was like, that's fucking funny. Yeah. Yeah. I will say uh, it's definitely something that maybe you need to be watching the performance and watching his neurotic, you know, I'm not, what's the word I'm looking for here? Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) Not the word I was looking for, but sure. (laughs) Um, You you know, you need him performing it, I think, because like Giselle did not watch this with me and I'm telling her the lines after the fact and I'm like, wasn't that funny? And she's like, eh. Um, Yeah. I do think it's very interesting though. Watching this movie, Woody Allen, he has the snack where, especially during this, which was, I would say his prime, you know, the late 60s to early 80s. This was right before his prime. I would say um, he would he would be the writer, the director and the star of a lot of his movies. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great writer. I think he's an OK actor. And I think in this movie, I was like, there was a lot of times where I was like, uh, I was I'm not sure about your direction here, man. Um, There's like one or two times where Diane Keaton is clearly like, 
I'm like, you needed another take because she was yeah. struggling with this line. Like, I'm like, yeah. why did we do it again? Um, he was very funny though at times. Like, he, you know, do you watch a movie like this? And like, if you don't know anything about Woody Allen and all you know about him is like the terrible, more recent things, then, you know, I'm sure you would say to yourself, well, why is this guy famous for so long? And then you watch some of his stuff and you're like, oh, I get it. He's fucking funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I'm not a Chevy Chase fan, but when I watched Vacation, I was like, I get it. I get why people dig this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's ahead. certainly not more to be said about Woody Allen, you know, yeah. than that. But if I'm trying to limit it just to the movie, the movie is very funny. Like, especially, you know, there's a lot of times in the beginning where it is just rapidly, you know, in a very snappy way, setting up his family and himself that I was laughing a lot. You know, yeah. he was talking about his father had a piece of land that he was so proud of. And he holds up in his hand. Literally, it's like a piece of dirt. And he's like, look at my land. You know what I mean? And I was like, <laughs> this land funny. is not for sale. Yes. And at the end, he has built a teeny tiny monopoly sized house on the land. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, I'll build a guest house for you next. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Stuff like that. I was like, oh, you know what? That's fucking funny. My um, favorite and- is when his idiot brother dies and cousin Sonia and his wife are mourning in the church. And the wife is like, I've brought you some of his possessions. You can have his mustache. And she's like, thank you. I'll treasure it. And then she goes, we should do a, uh, we should divide up his letters. Would you like the vowels or the consonants? Yes, I, I had that written down <laughs> because that was funny. I did it's not so ex- good. like, I love when, you know, as people who watch a lot of movies, you're always, there's this, layer of expectation that you have that like okay i've seen a lot of movies i expect that this will happen you know what i mean um you know there's plenty of movies we've done before where it's like okay even with the king of kong you expect the good guy to somehow win in the end you know what i mean and like that's that's obviously documentary so that's real life but when the storyteller is telling you something there are cliches that you expect yes so even in a comedy when you're sort of looking for the joke I love when the joke will still not be what I expected it to be. Like, could it still have been funny if they were actually dividing up letters and then they said something about it? Yes. But the fact that they were dividing literal letters, I was like, that's funny. I did not see that coming. So good. Um, There's just a couple times where they say things that are like really funny. And like, there was one or two times where it went on a little bit long. Like this joke went on a little long, but the beginning of it cracked me up. I grew to full manhood. Actually, five foot six. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) Like, that's funny. Yep. I love him like a brother, just not one of mine. <laughs> like, <laughs> Referring yeah. to like his actual brother. What are you going to do when the French soldier rape your sister? I don't have a sister. That's no answer. Who are they going to rape? Ivan? They'll throw up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm like, that's funny. It's so good. You know what was distracting a lot of the movie, though? I feel like a lot of the music they use, and it's one song in particular, sounded like Christmas music. Yeah, so there there was a uh I've I, I know a lot about this movie and I'm sure you're gonna talk about this in the facts, but originally he wanted to use Stravinsky, who is a much more famous Russian composer, but the music was so like it made it feel not like a comedy. So mm-hmm. they went with a different composer whose music was a little bit brighter and happier and it just like changed the whole vibe of the film. So it's not that. ideal. Yeah, I didn't have that included, but it is just like I felt certain at times I was like is this in home alone? Is this in something? Cause I was like, it's so, it's got these jingling bells in it, which yes. sound so Christmassy. Yeah. Which, which is I very weird. Is Cause hilarious. it's really nothing to do with Christmas. And it's very Jewish. Um, as most of his movies are. I, I think, so I had seen this movie before, 
But I do remember when we talked about Russian literature in high school, they showed us this movie because it just is so good at discussing the philosophical questions that come up in that literature, but in a way that keeps you entertained, that you're paying attention. And then at the end, like you can kind of discuss, like, should Boris have killed Napoleon? Is he a better person because he didn't? Or is he a worse person because he didn't? Um, did, should Sonia have agreed to marry him even though she wasn't in love with him? Like all of these things are real discussions, real philosophical discussions, but done in a way that is playful. And at the end of the day, lighthearted. And I think the the common theme in all of Woody Allen's movies is like, life is short and you just have to live it. Like you can't worry about what's going to happen because we don't really know what's going to happen. I do actually think that that's very cool that you watch this in like a high school class because I'm like, you know what? That's a cool teacher. That's like, yeah, we're going to watch this comedy um, yeah. because I watched like there are movies I watched in high school that I'm like, wow, that was a great movie. But I can't think of a movie that I watched in high school that I was like, that was fun. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, I remember watching Stand and Deliver, which is a good movie, which I feel like people only know because of like Cartman from South Park going, how do I reach these kids? And <laughs> the other one that I remember watching and being extremely moved by it. But it's one of those movies that you watch and you're like, well, I don't ever want to watch that again. Wait a second. Can I guess what you're going to say? What? The boy in the striped pajamas. No. Oh, okay. but that that's again, that's a movie that I don't think I would ever want to watch again after I watch again. The Pianist. <laughs> really? I've never seen it. I'm sorry. Really I've never again. seen it. <laughs> it is I'm sorry. such a good fucking movie. And I, I'm probably not ever going to put on movies to watch for any time because I don't want to have to watch it again. Adrian <laughs> okay. Brody is so good. It's so sad. <laughs> OK, well, I don't want to watch it if it's that sad, but it's very sad. Damn, did oh, you watch Boy in the Striped Pajamas, though? I have not seen it. Oh, um, also, like, just runs you over with a train. <laughs> Surprisingly, these movies are not happy-go-lucky good times. <laughs> yeah, but love and death, hilarious, funny, happy. I was going to say, and I have a line here that I feel like relates to sports. Um, I feel like most of this movie was just me writing down quotes, because it's it's one of those movies that, like, is quote after quote good. Yeah. If we kill more Frenchmen, we win. If they kill more Russians, they win. And Woody, Woody Allen just goes, what do we win? <laughs> Your skin is so beautiful. Yes, I know. It covers my whole body. Yeah, so good. I I found it. I thought we should I thought we should divide his letters. Do you want the vowels and the consonants? <laughs> um I did also write down the ultimate suspension of disbelief is believing any woman is attracted to Woody Allen, funny as he may be. <laughs> well, that's, I think, one of my favorite things about his movies is that he really does make himself... So he does two things every time that you have to suspend your disbelief about. Number one, he is always a Jewish Brooklynite. No matter what, he is himself. He yeah, is he's, not... He's, there's no Russian accent in this movie. Nothing. Yeah. Nope. He's just himself. So always, constantly, no matter what. The second thing he does is um he makes himself the romantic lead. He is the one that all the women are hot for. He is the one that women are fighting over. He's the love interest. He just, he does it. I don't and know. To go back a few weeks to when we did True Lies with Nando and you were vicious towards Jamie Lee Curtis. Vicious? Vicious towards Jamie Excuse Lee Curtis. Excuse me, I was not vicious toward Oscar winner Jamie Lee Curtis. Oscar winner Jamie Lee Curtis, yes. And then you look at Woody Allen, who looks like a fucking troll 
like, hey. like there is no time in his life that Woody Allen was an attractive man. <laughs> and like, well, I'm not... here's, I mean, yeah, he was he's, cute. He's he a... always picks a cute kid to play him as a young man, though. Yes. And I, I pray that whoever those young men are did not grow up to look like. Him. <laughs> well, I think the difference is in in Jamie Lee Curtis's case, she was chosen by a casting director. In Woody Allen's case, he wrote himself to be this character. Like, it's just two very different things. I guess one of them is Woody Allen is saying, like, you know who would be an attractive man for this leading man role? Me. <laughs> I mean, but he he had something. I mean, he's one of the most famous filmmakers, if not people of all time. Well, that's how I would get back to. I would say he's a prolific writer, like yeah. as far as writing books, movies, like even now he's in, he's in his 80s or 90s, probably his 80s. And he just keeps cranking movies out. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um. You know, that's that's impressive. Do I think he's a great actor? No. Like I said, I think he's an okay actor because he can well, only play a Jewish Brooklynite. Yeah. And he's a very good comedic actor. He's not a yeah. very good actor. Well, he was a stand-up comic originally. I mean, originally he started writing jokes for his local paper in high school. I feel like he is the less obnoxious Larry David as term in terms of looks and like sense of humor. Like yes. he is the same very like Larry David is very awkward, but he is awkward and will get angry at you for making him feel awkward. Whereas Woody Allen just continues to be awkward. Also, I Larry, Larry David has David, no scandals. But... Well, that we know of yet. Um, I think Larry David, it was probably the most influenced by Woody Allen. Do you think so? Has Larry David I said do. that? I, I know, but I'm just saying based on like raw comparison, like I would, I truly <laughs> Scotty, believe. look that up. <laughs> yeah, Scotty, Scotty, take a look at, look into this for me, will you? I truly believe that if there's no Woody Allen, there's no Larry David, there's no Jerry Seinfeld. And I don't mean to be talking just about the Jewish comedians, but this style I mean, he did it for and obviously Woody Allen was very influenced by Charlie Chaplin and the Marx Brothers. And, you know, uh, of course, he's not yes, the originator. Yeah. But the modern sort of anxiety ridden, um, neurotic um, comedian who is always overanalyzing simple things that other people overlook I, I think it's it immediately is going back to Woody Allen every time. And that is as relevant as it's ever been with the way that people, I feel like we are in a time with, with social media where we are now more open with our neuroses than ever. Yes. Yeah. And he um, did it first. Yes. In a time where it was not, you know, popular or as acceptable to be as open with those neuroses. Yep. I mean, in Annie Hall, he, and again, I know we're not talking about Annie Hall, but in Annie Hall, he, there are multiple scenes where both he and Annie are in talk therapy. And that was unheard of at the time. And now you have entire shows about therapists. Yeah. Yeah. Which what total, total aside, I just saw, it was a TikTok that I saw on Twitter because I'm, <laughs> I'm not young enough to be on TikTok, but there's a guy with his, his username was therapist Zach. And the video was him going, I did not realize that people could misread this name in the way that it has been happening. <laughs> oh and I was God. cracking up at it. That is so fucking funny. And it just reminded me of, didn't your mom have a student who wrote a paper about being a rapper, but spelled <laughs> rapper wrong every time and with one P? So it wasn't my mom. It was somebody in my seventh grade English class wrote a paper <laughs> and Zach took this one so far, wrote a paper about how we were supposed to write a paper about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And he wrote, I want to be a raper. 
I'm going to be a raper at all the cool parties. (laughs) Um, I'm going to be the best raper alive ever. I'm going to be the most famous raper. It was unbelievable. (laughs) Nobody else wanted him to be a raper, but he just forced it upon everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Getting back onto love and death. That might be a good segue into our next segment. Let's talk about Woody Allen. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, God, no. (laughs) I thought that's where you were going. Oh, no, not at all. Listen, I'm just going to say this. This this is what happened. Woody Allen was married to Mia Farrow. Mia Farrow had an adopted daughter named Soon Yi. Eventually, Woody Allen and Soon Yi got married. Now, I, I think there are two tremendous points that need to be made before we talk about the morality of this which by the uh, way is how Woody Allen to discuss the philosophical how, how are you about to defend this <laughs> I'm not defending it I'm not defending it here's what I'm gonna say number one I think the most important thing and I am a firm believer in this is that we have to collectively be able to separate the art from the artist we have to because if not think about Think about all of the people that have built up our society. We have to acknowledge the good and the bad. We have to. And we tend to let the pendulum swing way too far in the other direction. And I think you can't. I don't think that you should celebrate and revere and put statues in the honor of people that did bad things. Absolutely not. But I don't think you can. Uh, maybe I've gone too far in this argument because now I feel like I'm I'm diluting my own point the bottom line is when it comes to art okay not politics you're saying not... you don't have to enjoy woody allen the person but you can still enjoy annie hall the movie i think we would be doing ourselves and our society a tremendous disservice by canceling all of the work that woody allen did because as i just said if you don't have woody allen you don't have larry david you don't have jerry seinfeld you don't have all of these things that have made us so happy and I know these you are guys some of the best movies it, of all time. But Gav has just an R. Kelly and Bill Cosby posters behind her. <laughs> uh, what's that other one? Is that Michael Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, though, like, let's talk about that, because quite frankly, I love Michael Jackson's music. I think Michael. I mean, if we don't have Michael Jackson's music, we don't have pop music. I do think no. there's something so weird about the fact that and we. I remember Giselle and I watched the documentary about R. Kelly and we were both, you know, disgusted by R. Kelly. Yeah. And then the next time R. Kelly came on in my car on the, like, I think I used to have ignition on my playlist or something like that because it's a banger. It is. But once it came on, I was like, I can't listen to this right now. And I turned it off. And like three songs later, Michael Jackson came on and I see her like bobbing her head to like Billy Jean or something. And I'm like, isn't this the same thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just that he had a lot more songs that we like. Like, but here's the thing somebody, I don't remember who said this to me, but somebody said to me one day, you know, the remix to Ignition didn't rape anybody, <laughs> which is hilarious. And obviously, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm like so uneasy with the path we're on right now. I know. I'm sorry. All I'm saying is this. We I, I also think here's the second thing I was going to say. So, number one, we have to learn to separate the art from the artist. I think I started to go down a Christopher Columbus path that I didn't really want to go down because I don't think that's relevant to this conversation. I think when it comes to art and the things that we enjoy, we can't cancel the art because the artist is a shithead. Second thing I want to say is that we, we tend to have these relationships with celebrities where we believe we know 
everything about them and their intent. And I think in some cases we do, and in some cases we do not. And when it comes to, say, a Michael Jackson who is deceased and cannot defend himself, we don't really know. And at the end of the day, Billie Jean is not on trial, right? Like, at the end of the day, love and death, Annie Hall, not on trial. Um, Do we need to love this person and support this person? No. Um, But at the same time, like, especially in the Woody Allen situation, we just, like... It's been how long? Like 30 years that they've I been think together? What Gab is saying is you can watch Woody Allen movies, but you should pirate them. You can listen to Michael Jackson music, but download it through torrents. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like not necessarily, because at the same time, should okay, so so should Diane Keaton suffer? Should the 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 third grip on that movie suffer? Should like Well, they're not I making mean, anything from it now, you know what I mean? I don't know. Diane Keaton certainly is. Um God, I really didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to go so deep. We into have this. to. I mean, um, come on. What do you think? Genuinely. Diane I, I think Woody Allen is a disgusting person. I, like I don't see any of his movies in theaters anymore. I wouldn't pay any money to see them. I, I really believe what I just said. Like if I want to watch a Woody Allen thing, I'll probably have to bootleg it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't. You know. I certainly. Do I know the truth of anything? No. I know that he was accused by one of his children of sexually assaulting him. I know that he ended up. Well, let me just read this part that I have now direct directed, written by and starred Woody Allen, who also wrote, directed and starred in Manhattan, Annie Hall, sleeper bananas. It also must be mentioned. Woody Allen was with Mia Farrow for many years. Um, one of their children is also famous now. Rodin Farrow, the journalist. Yep. yep. Their relationship ended after 12 years when Woody Allen began a relationship with Mia Farrow's adopted daughter, Soon Yi Previn, who he married six years later. And he is still with to this day. He is 87. She is 52. When they began the relationship in 1991, he was 56 and she was 21. I think that's pretty gross. Is it, you know, is it illegal? No. Is it as Woody Allen, I'm sure would posit? Is it immoral? Well, I believe Woody Allen says in his movie, morality is subjective and subjectivity is objective. But I think it is pretty immoral. I mean, I don't I I think the only uh, I'm like, I forget that it's not just me and you talking about this and I don't want to incriminate myself on the Internet. But I also think like they've been together for 33 years, Uh, 32 years, 32 years. Wait, that can't be right. 31 years. Okay, they've been together for longer than you or I have been alive. Yes. Which, you know, that's why I included that in there, that he's 87, she's 52. They're still together, but boy, oh boy, she's probably changing his diapers by this fucking point. You know what I mean? mean, Maybe they've got two kids. It's it's very weird and icky. (laughs) It is weird and icky. It is weird and icky. It is weird and icky. No question. I think ultimately at the end of the day, we're not here to debate whether or not what Woody Allen did was cool or not. We're here to talk about his art. And I I just want to make sure you lean on the uncool side, right? (laughs) I, I'm leaning I, on the uncool side. I want to make that clear. <laughs> I love his work 
so much. I don't even it pains me to even think about it. Like I it pains me to think that he's going to die and we are not going to have any more work coming from him. I also feel like I I get it to an extent when you love the work that somebody does and it turns out that that person is gross. Like I yeah. I've said, you know, before I'm a huge Patriots fan. When I found out any connection between like Robert Kraft or Tom Brady and Donald Trump, you know, obviously I'm out of my political views here, but I think I made it, you know, obvious with my capitalist perspective. Yeah. It feels icky. And you know what? The best I can do is I'm like, well, I, I got to just ignore that because I, I love Tom Brady. And like, I don't yeah. want to think about that. And it's like, you know, even that I think is different just because it's like to such a different extent, but it's like, man, I feel bad if your favorite show was the Cosby show, but I'm like, it just, you know, I can't imagine watching it the same way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that it, we can't watch Woody Allen movies now without without the thought creeping into your mind. That's why as soon as he was like, you know, and they mentioned that they're distant cousins, but I'm like, uh, Woody Allen and his cousin in this movie, that feels yeah. gross. You know what I mean? Because it can't be, it's hard to ignore. I guess. I just think like, but you know what? I think, and and tell me what you what you think about this, but I think when you go to school for the arts and you have a very like intellectual way of looking at things like this. And I think a lot of the people that listen to our podcast will agree. It can be so easy to forget, not forget, but to compartmentalize the things about the artist in order to appreciate like how genius their work is. So for example, I mean, we all know Kanye West is a really bad maybe not even bad but a very sick individual who needs a lot of help i i think he is still one of the greatest artists and producers of our generation i think he was i, I like i can't listen to a kanye song anymore i i mean i hear you it's like it was a pretty direct attack <laughs> I, I, know. Was like, oh, no. I hear you but i i i i don't think that Again, I think now we're kind of getting into mental illness and obviously he's had a, a decline over the years. But like, I still think that his impact on the music industry will be felt forever. I guess what I would say is if you're a, if Through the Wire is your favorite song, you're not a bad person for enjoying the song. You're a bad person if, if you're saying, well, Kanye is still great no matter what. You know what I mean? There has to, there has to be a separation of well, Kanye's music is still great. And you know what? Right. That that I can hear you say and say, okay, for me personally, I can't listen to Kanye music anymore, really, and enjoy it the way I used to. Um, You know, and I think that's kind of how it is with Woody Allen, that it's like, Gab, you are perfectly well within your right to love the movie Love and Death. But boy, I got to tell you, there were times when I'm watching this movie and I'm like, Woody Allen's kind of gross, though. Ugh. It sucks. I mean, I get it. And if I'm being honest with you, like, I'm not even really the world's biggest Kanye fan, like, like his music. I just know subjectively or rather objectively, he has had a tremendous impact and, and that his style has, you know, transformed how we appreciate music, modern music. Yeah, I mean, like the same could be said for Woody Allen, who objectively has had an impact on the landscape of comedy and film. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it sucks. And you know what? Like you said, the remix to Ignition didn't rape anybody. I, whoa, whoa, whoa. I did not say that. <laughs> Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. It, it that was not you. a me line. You Damn. said that. 
I said ignition was a banger. That was what I yeah. said. Yeah, and it is a banger. And, you know, I don't know. It, it's hard, right? Yes, because, like, as you said, <laughs> like, yes, to quote Dylan, um, you know, here's the thing, though. And it's funny because I, I was a vegan for a very long time and I am no longer. And one of the things that really bothered me about being vegan was that you there were just so many like once you became a vegan, there were just so many things that were off limit like it was sort of like a rabbit hole right where it's like okay i don't eat anything with animal products but like my shoes are leather you know my my car interior is leather okay so i get rid of that okay but now you know the soap that i'm using has this ingredient that's actually like crushed up beetle shells so now i got to get another kind of soap and you know it just becomes this this moral there's shades of gray it's not so black and white Yes. Yes. And so to me, it's like, okay, if we're not going to listen to Kanye or Michael or Woody Allen or R. Kelly and all, you know, Bill Cosby is off the table, all these people who are terrible. It's like everybody is terrible. Everyone has done shit we don't like. I mean, people love Michael Jordan. He's a fucking prick. Yeah. O.J. Simpson, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there who grew up huge Buffalo Bills fans and are like, I feel really bad for somebody whose favorite player of all time was OJ Simpson because it's like, good luck with that one. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, even like, you know, I love Mike Piazza. I'm a huge Mets fan, but like he's icky. Everyone is icky. And if they're not icky, they're just hiding it really well. So the question becomes if we stop supporting these and not even supporting these artists, if we stop ingesting the things that these artists have previously done, where do we draw the line? Who are we supporting? It also feels like we've gotten, you know, more and more sensitive about that to an extent. And it's also because people with social media, people are so available to say their thoughts about everything. Mm -hmm. And the most recent example that I can think of is I was really excited for Shazam Fury of the Gods. I loved yeah. the first one. Very excited for when it comes out. And I was like saying to Giselle, oh, I can't wait to see it. And she goes, yeah, you heard what Zachary Levi said, though, about being like against the vaccine. And I'm like, I think what I had said was, oh, I just want to watch the fucking movie. You know yeah. what I mean? Because sometimes and like, I think this is different because he just said something stupid rather than like doing a horrible thing. But like, I wish people would just shut the fuck up <laughs> because it's yeah. like, especially if you're a famous person, I'm like, just act, just, just let me enjoy your performance and enjoy the movie. I don't need, I don't care what Evangeline Lilly has to say, Letitia Wright, Zachary Levi. I'm trying to think of other people who've said horrendously stupid things. Just let me enjoy the thing that you do. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, we know people, I mean, I, I, we have family members who have done really atrocious things. And it's like, what am I going to not talk to anybody that they're related to? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, I don't know. I just feel like there are so many, there are just so many layers to this. And at the end of the day, like art is art. And we don't like, like, did Picasso ever do anything fucked up? Like, do we just not know? Because he wasn't, they, there was no social media. It was harder to, to tell. Like, I just I don't know. I I get it. And I am liberal and I am Jewish and I live in New York and I love all people and I am the least bigoted person that I know. But like. At some point, we have to just be able to separate the art from the artist. 
I do think these are very great things. And I don't think anybody is wrong. Like if, if you're listening to this right now and you think we sound like fucking ass clowns, jabronis, idiots, <laughs> because you're like, no, those people are disgusting. You're entitled to feel that way. If you are somebody who, like I said, has literally a poster of the Cosby show, not because you're a fan of what Bill Cosby did, but because you love that show, you're entitled to that too. Yeah. Because it is very much a gray thing. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the biggest difference to me is I do think it's to me, it is wrong to go pay money to see the the new Woody Allen movie. It's in theaters because then you are monetarily supporting that person, which if you do find their actions gross, then you shouldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, everybody has the right to support whomever they want. Um, of course. And obviously, like, you know, I think everybody has their own experiences and their own boundaries with things. And, you know, I get it. But I've I never do been think... more tempted to cut so much. <laughs> oh, my God. This episode's um, going to be five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think I think it's important that we have these conversations. And frankly, like. You know. I feel the same way about like. We can't. So to go back to Christopher Columbus, who I actively decided not to talk about before, we can talk about Christopher Columbus's terrible things that he did and also the things that actually happened with that. Like we can just be accurate about all of it. We can talk about Woody Allen and what he did and all the horrible things he did and also the awesome movies that he made. Like it feels like we're altering history if we try to erase one thing or the other. To me, it's just as bad to erase Christopher Columbus from the history books as it is to erase the murdering and the raping from the history. It's like, just tell the truth. Yes. And I think there we can agree is it's just important that all the facts be known. Yes. I do think it makes it hard to watch comedies when you're like, you know, I'm not saying you have to have a five minute prologue to every time you're watching a Woody Allen movie where you're like, let's acknowledge the atrocities of Woody Allen. (laughs) The Christopher Columbus is, you know, much easier to do, but like, Fuck, this sucks. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess. It's tough. It, it is a tough thing to do. And I feel for you as somebody who is clearly a huge Woody Allen fan who, like, I feel like you just want to say, I, I just want to like Woody Allen anyway because yeah. you're a big fan of this stuff. And I get it. Yeah. There are celebrities that I'm a huge fan of. I'm a huge fan of Bruce Campbell. If it came out that Bruce Campbell was, like, imprisoning people in his basement, it would be horrendously awful for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what I would do, but it's it can't be ignored, I guess is what we're saying. Yeah. It can't be ignored. It also shouldn't be the only thing that matters when you're looking at their art or product separately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. When I worked for Cycle Bar, um, we weren't allowed to play Michael Jackson in our classes. That was like a, a thing from corporate that anybody who worked for corporate was not allowed to play Michael Jackson in their, in their classes. And to me, it just felt like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it, it feels like like only Michael Jackson. Yeah. Like he's not allowed. Cause but again, there are so many other musicians who are also very problematic. And that's what I'm saying. And it, to me, it felt like if you're going to exclude him, why are you not going to exclude all of the problematic musicians oh that's right because then there would be no one left <laughs> no like, i'm sure there are plenty of musicians out there who are not like 
it would be James Taylor all day, every day. Like there would just Dab be over here giving left. the slippery slope argument. Like I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just think that that, you know, and, and also uh, maybe I don't want to say this. I was going to say I he didn't kill anyone. I mean, uh, Matthew you- Broderick. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Side note. The other day I was walking down the street with Corey. We walked past the Pret, Pret-a-Manger on 6th Avenue uh, between 21st and 20th Street. And Matthew Broderick was sitting in there by himself eating a sandwich. And we looked in the window and I was like, holy shit, that's Matthew Broderick. And then I looked at Corey and said, you know, he killed two people. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He, he killed did. two people. And we we and Ferris Bueller. Great movie. War Games, excellent movie. He's on Broadway all the time. Like, he is America's fucking sweetheart. But I like, also ran into him in the city once. <laughs> really? Yeah, so I was like, hey, you're right. Like, I was just like, <laughs> you're you, right? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, super fast picture. And he was like, okay. And I took, like, the Aww. fastest selfie ever. And he looks so, like, uh. <laughs> 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 that was his worst performance I've ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Um, uh, yeah, like he literally killed two people. Two people are dead because of him. Yes, he he. I believe he ran over people, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, in Ireland, drunk yeah. driving. Not cool. Not cool. But he's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, just he's not I fine. Don't... We're acknowledging it right now. Like, again. yeah. But most I can't people, watch, I, like, most people don't know that. That is just a weird thing that a lot of people haven't heard about. Yeah. But yeah, Matthew Broderick, murderer. Murderer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I um, I hate this whole thing because it does feel like a slippery slope, and the the vegan thing is very much a slippery slope. Like I think everything is a slippery slope, and at the end of the day, I mean, William Shakespeare, questionable person edgar Allan poe questionable person like what the fuck are you talking about i mean they're questionable what <laughs> do you know something about edgar Allan poe that i don't i mean i just feel like he was very questionable but i know shakespeare cheated on his wife a bunch well if, if that's the limit now celebrities who have cheated on people by that point it's i mean everyone. i'm just all saying, celebrities like, have cheated you know who knows where where the line is drawn and and not drawn i mean i don't know all i'm saying is it's a very murky muddled thing and you have every right to your opinion but maybe we should just get to some facts (laughs) (laughs) all right fine let's get to some facts the fact is i smoothly navigated us away from this (laughs) what did you think we were did you legitimately think we were not going to talk about this I didn't think we were going to talk about it for as long as we did. That's what I'll say. I just have very strong opinions on this. I think you can have a very strong opinion on it. You know what I mean? Like, I think people are entitled to. God damn it. You you pulled me right back <laughs> in, you son of a bitch. Let's go. I think people are very entitled to feel disgusted by Woody Allen if they want to and not watch a movie of his because they're disgusted by the thought of him. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not wrong if you feel that way. Right. I think but I also the only think... wrong thing is abject support of the person. Yeah. I mean, anybody who's like, we love when people marry their stepchildren and, you know, whatever <laughs> like that. Yeah. is creepy and weird. You know, we love when grown men invite little boys over for sleepovers to to do questionable things with them. Like, yeah. OK, understood. But I do think if you I don't think that you are that type of person if you still enjoy consuming the art that those questionable people created. 
Now can I get to the facts? Sure. I want the truth! Face the facts, dokes. Facts have no place with an organized religion. Let's start with the ratings. IMDb gave this a 7.7 out of 10. Mm. Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter, this has 100%. Oh, yes. Average rating of 8.1 out of 10 with 23 fresh reviews and zero rotten. Wow. It is just also a very small pool of reviews. Like, at the same time, if they had put it on the tomato meter, the redeemed the dominant would have had 100%. (laughs) Sure. Audience score of 90% with an average score of 4.2 out of 5. Um, well, we already talked about the director, writer, and star. The movie also stars Diane Keaton, who was also in Annie Hall, uh, the father of the bride movies, and the first Wives Club, which is phenomenal. Um, let's get to the critics' consensus. Woody Allen plunks his neurotic persona into a Tolstoy pastiche and yields one of his funniest films, brimming with slapstick ingenuity and literary inquiry into subjects as momentous as love and death. I can't believe I nailed every one of those words, Gab. Very good. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I'm impressed. As I got through that whole sentence, I was like, you haven't fucked it up yet. <laughs> the movie had a budget of $3 million and it grossed $20 million. Mm. Uh, Let's get to some reviews. Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars. Love and Death has been mapped out as a fully thought through film. It's a lot more mature than the anything goes style of earlier Alan movies like Bananas. Vincent Candy from the New York Times. Besides being one of Woody's most consistently witty films, Love and Death marks a couple of other advances for Mr. Allen as a filmmaker and for Miss Keaton as a wickedly funny comedian. Dennis Schwartz from Dennis Schwartz Movie Reviews. Sometimes funny spoof of War and Peace. And Jacob Atlas from the Wait, Los you Angeles... included that review? I don't know why I did in retrospect. Okay. Jacob Atlas from the Los Angeles Free Press... <laughs> Suffice to say, it is as weird as it is funny. Okay. Uh, some more direct facts. Woody, Woody Allen was so concerned about the quality of Budapest's food that he consumed only canned food and bottled water that he had brought with him from America. As a result, Allen was one of the few of the movie's cast and crew who did not suffer dysentery while filming. Yep, I love that. He's so neurotic and it paid off. Uh, the very Christmassy sounding song is Troika by the Russian composer Sergei Provokiev. Good job. Is that right? I don't know. I don't know. This is one of eight movie collaborations of Woody Allen and Diane Keaton. Allen co-starring in six of them and directing seven of them. Wow. This is Woody Allen's sixth film as a director. Uh, the plot of Woody Allen and Diane Keaton's characters trying to find and kill Napoleon is from Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace and the main character, Pierre. This also has a similar plot to Woody Allen's 1973 film Sleeper, in which Woody Allen and Diane Keaton also try to assassinate an evil dictator. Except that's set in the future. And that's all I've got for the facts. All right. Yeah, this was a, it was hard to find facts on this movie. I think just because it's one of the older movies that we've done, that it was yeah. a little bit tough to find like behind-the-scenes stuff on, things like that. The most famous two things are about the dysentery and the canned food, and also that um, the weather was horrendous, and they had a very hard time filming it. I think he, I I know it was said somewhere in this that he so hated the shooting experience outside of the country that he did not shoot another movie outside of New York. I think it was until Midnight in Paris. Yes. Yeah, exactly. He kept everything in New York, which is obviously what he became known for, is is depicting New York in film. Um 
additionally, he had an actor break two legs and Diane Keaton had an eye injury. She got hit in the eye or poked in the eye. And um, that delayed filming quite a bit. Oh, one thing I didn't talk about that I wanted to. <laughs> During the scene where there's a duel between Woody Allen and another character, he gets shot twice in the arms and the squibs go off. And I couldn't help but think these squibs are not as good as RoboCop. But what <laughs> movie does have squibs nearly as good as RoboCop? You know what I it's mean? It's true. I thought that too. I was like, oh, that's the third squib. <laughs> there were like six <laughs> squibs in the movie. After seeing RoboCop, no squibs compare again. Especially not the the RoboCop scene you sent me. (laughs) I I hope by this point, if you haven't already, go back to our RoboCop episode. Click the link in the description for the RoboCop dick shooting scene. I implore you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Dylan implores you. Dylan implores you. (laughs) And now that you have paused this video, you have gone, you have seen the squibs in that fan-made video with the dicks getting shot off by RoboCop. Now we can get to some mail. Blow my dick off with some mail. Mail time! When you control the mail, you control information. Mom asked me to ask you if there's any mail for us here by mistake. What? Oh, don't like that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just keep it. Just keep it. We don't have time. Okay, so let's start <laughs> with some comments on our Robocop episode. Uh, first, we have a comment from our our good friend, Pedro. Pedro! He says, talking about uh, the birdcage, did I laugh when Azaria fell? Building suspense for Gab. Oh my god, please tell me he laughed. I had a light chuckle. I oh, laughed harder. come on. I laughed harder when Robin fell. As for explaining football slash soccer, I can't help you there. I hated the sport since I was a kid. I know it's blasphemy for a Brazilian. I would rather you guys explain baseball to me. I can only enjoy through films. I'm more of a basketball person. Okay, I don't really care for basketball, but I definitely hate soccer. So, Pedro, come to the States. We'll take you to a Mets game. They're only like five bucks. <laughs> hey, that I, there are seven at least. I say that as a good value thing. I remember there was a time years ago when the Mets were at their worst, where they are like, it's a Mets-Marlins game at the end of the season. Nobody's coming. You can have it for free. Just come. That is true. Just that come spend true. money at the stadium. Yeah, come buy a hot dog, please. Whereas we tried to look up cheap Yankee tickets recently. It was like 60 bucks. And it was like, I don't want to do that. Also, fuck the Yankees. Also, fuck the Yankees. On to the next comment from Scotty Cameron. Scotty. The last thing about Men in Black. I was born in March of 1998 and it premiered in July of 1997. So I might not have been conceived at the time it premiered. It was awfully close to whenever I would have been conceived. Damn it, Scotty, you missed it by that much. Oh, damn. Also, ew. <laughs> Scotty's parents, if you had boned just like a week later. Oh, no. <laughs> I also recently realized that I'm five years and one day older than Linkin Park's sophomore album, Meteora. Oh, you know, I, my next question for him was going to be, what's the age difference between you and Linkin Park's sophomore album, Meteora? Me- Meteora. Oh, you almost nailed that guy. Meteora. Meteora. It's good like to have meaty, you mess up the words, though. Meaty? No, like aura? meteorites. No, 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 I understand, but it sounds to my ear like meaty aura. Like your aura, oh, you know, like the vibe wise? you give off. Yeah, and then like meaty. Like you ever look at someone and think like, oof, he's a little meaty. I guess. I mean, that's normally I would have been like, oh, look at that steak. It's so meaty. Sure, 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 sure. I would just be meaty. like, look at fat people. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we're not in the same profession. Um. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, should I go on to the next comment or should we talk more about different ways you can talk about things being meaty? 
Uh, no, no, no. I'd rather talk about Scotty's differentiate different age differential to different things or move on. Okay. Well, then we're going to move on. Okay. <laughs> so this comment comes from the sewer King. Pedro says if he had a nickel for every time Hank Azaria played a character who hasn't aged well, he'd have two nickels. Well, well, well. If I had a nickel for every time a Paul Verhoeven movie got a mediocre PG-13 remake, I'd also have two nickels. If I get two nickels, I will return one to whoever loaned me them so they can have a nickel back. Oh, no. Is that the second time he's done that? I don't know if that was him last time. <laughs> people, oh. people keep oh, going God. for the, the nickelback joke. Oh, no. But wait a second. Who, who, who had two what movies? Uh, Paul Verhoeven had two movies with a bad PG-13 remake, so he created Robocop and Total Recall, Got both it. of which okay. had around the same time remakes that were, you know, duds. Okay. Hurt. I have not seen either. I will not see either. Have you ever seen Total Recall? No. That's a maybe at some point. I'm sure I would hate it. Come on. Arnold Schwarzenegger and his big face. Whatever Pretending to be the him. average American. If it really is one of those where like, we're just not going to acknowledge that this man is a giant. <laughs> yeah, that seems to happen to him quite a bit. We'll slip on past. And we got one more comment from Scotty Cameron. Scotty. Oh, I guess it's because I talked about uh, from our Neil Breen conversation. Dylan, I had a feeling you watched Red Letter Media. My brother has shown me a few videos of theirs. One was about how every change Joss Whedon made to Justice League actively made the movie worse. The other was the Mr. Plinkett review of The Phantom Menace. And the last was a Neil Breen video. I mostly know of Neil Breen through the YouTube channel Space Ice, which does worst movie ever videos on Neil Breen and Steven Seagal and best movie ever videos on Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jean-Claude Van Damme. In fact, Space Ice did a hilarious Neil Breen versus Steven Seagal video where Breen beat Seagal with a score of negative three to negative 30. Wow. Well, it just goes to show you <laughs> how you have to adjust your scale. It's like when you're teaching and you grade on a curve. Yeah. If our, yeah. If our best are going to be Jean-Claude Van Damme, yeah, you know what I mean? And F starts to look like an A. You know what's crazy? They really did grade us on a scale. And it's also like, what good did that do anybody? Uh, it, I don't know. It certainly, I don't think it hurt anybody, did it? I mean, I don't know. Like, I remember taking AP classes in high school and they were like, all right, well, you know, it's curved. And everybody was like, yes, it's curved. But like, if they had to curve it, don't you think maybe we weren't smart enough for these classes. Wait, say that one more time. So uh, you took AP classes in high school, right? I took not a single AP. Seriously? My, my guidance counselor at one point recommended I take eight APs. And I sort of was just like, he mentioned that there were two hours of homework a night. And I said, no, no, thank you. Interesting. I graduated college uh, a semester early because I had so many APs from high school. But anyway, um, I remember taking AP US history and they would great like we would walk to class and like the person, you know, so your friend who took the class a period before you would be like, it's curved. And we'd all be like, yes, it's graded on a curve. So essentially, like, you know, if the best score was an 80, that became 100 and everybody else's score was was like on a bell curve after that. And thinking back, if the bet if the smartest motherfucker in that class only got an 80 Maybe that we just weren't like maybe people like me who probably got a 60 weren't cut out for that. No, I actually think hearing your explanation, it makes sense, because if the class is so hard that a student who is objectively intelligent can only get an 80 on it, then you should be moving everyone up because the class might just be too hard. Right. But then don't you think we shouldn't be taking a class that's that hard? 
I don't know. I think you're dumb anyway. All right, All right. moving on. I am. Sorry. This is this is really riveting over here today. I was going to say, this is not what we're about. We're not about curve <laughs> or no curve. But I would like to hear your thoughts on whether or not you took AP in high school. And if so, was it curved? And if so, were you too much of a fucking idiot to actually have participated in this? Since I feel like Scotty's age is a thing, I'm like, Scotty, when you get to high school, 10 to 20 <laughs> years from now, you can tell us about it. Honestly. All right. So let's move on to some emails. We've got one from Pedro. Thoughts on RoboCop and a bunch How of How long is this email? It could be longer. Okay, good. But we did ask him for recommendations. So that's partially on <laughs> us. You got right, you got an right. exception there, Pedro. Hello, Dylan and Gab. Back again to recap the films I've seen this week. Dylan, I will not accept your hatred for Tarzan's soundtrack. You are wrong and you should feel bad. I am not and I do not. In order to keep this short, and since you guys like my recaps, I've only reviewed one film and the rest are recommendations. On to the film I watched. Robocop, an 80s classic I still had not seen. I do have some very vague and foggy memories of watching reruns of the live-action 90s Robocop show. This was way back in the early 2000s. This film is an action movie classic, but director Paul Verhoeven's satirical tone is also a great part of the film. See, mm. he was helped by the fact that I let him know it was a satire ahead of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Poor Gab was like, I don't know. Well, everything in the 80s looked like a fucking satire. Everything was excessive. But it was ultra excessive to comment on the excess. I guess. Now, where was I? You distracted me. All the fake products and propaganda are great world building and criticism of consumerism. The special effects have aged very well. Maybe not Ed 209 in the long arm puppet, but I still enjoy them. The makeup department of this film deserves all the awards for their incredible work on the whole film. Ooh, Pedro hit me with a name here. Basil Polidorus's music is fantastic <laughs> and very reminiscent of his work in the Conan films. I also find it funny in the climax of the film when asked his name, Robocop finally accepts his accepts? That's not right. Robocop finally accepts his old identity and answers Murphy. Only for the movie to cut straight into a black screen saying Robocop. <laughs> this is a fun classic 80s film and to me is worth watching before you die. The TV show and the sequels, as far as I remember, are not on the same level. Well, I definitely agree with that. Side note, this is actually not my first Peter Weller film. I had seen his work when he voiced Batman in the two-part animated adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns and loved his work. Stay yappy. Wait, sorry, wrong podcast. It's so good, Gab. I won't ever make you watch it because I'm not going to waste another Batman movie on you, but it's really good. Is Pedro a yappy dude? Pedro is a yappy dude. I mean, the Sewer King is definitely a yappy dude. We got a lot of yappy dudes in here. Interesting. Here I am thinking that I am just so joyful to listen to and such a delightful commentative. I'm really struggling today, Dylan. You know what I'm <laughs> You understand where this was going. No, no, I don't. Well, then I guess you're never going to get there. Yeah, keep, I was gonna, keep trying. <laughs> now we have some recommendations from Pedro, as he promised. Mm -hmm. Classic horror. I have some knowledge of this. My brother even has a horror podcast. So here are my picks. You can shout out your brother's horror podcast next time. John yeah. Carpenter's Halloween, 1978. My favorite horror film. Of course, it's more suited for October, but I still love it. Not the first slasher film, but the film that created the formula. Have you seen Halloween? No. I'm going to be honest, and Pedro is not going to like it. It's a little overrated. It's fine. Yeah, it's I'm sure. It's perfectly fine. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, another classic. I avoided it for years. I watched it last year and fell in love with the film's style and direction. Cap, have you seen it? I saw the remake. So, so no, <laughs> so no, <laughs> no. Um, I think it's the remake though, that there's one shot in Texas Chainsaw Massacre that I remember seeing and being like, how the fuck did they do that? Where a guy gets shot in the head 
and the camera travels through his head out the back window, which had been shot out. And I was like, how the fuck did they do this? Wow. And I know I ended up looking up somewhere, but it was absolutely incredible. So if I remember too, maybe I'll put like a, a link below to like how they did that, but probably not. Yeah, you won't. It's okay. I won't. Last one, Scream. A slasher with horror and comedy. It's satire of the genre is great fun if you love horror. Gab, have you seen Scream? No. Jesus Christ. No wonder you're like, I don't get scared by movies. You don't watch any scary movies. Isn't Scream the one with Courtney Cox? Yes. Oh, well, how about that? I knew something about it. I mean, Long, the, the guy's face. Right? The, the mask. You guys can't see it, but Gab's making a real doofy face. Um, <laughs> ghost face, yes. Where he's got yeah, the yeah, long... Yeah. Gaping yeah. face, yes. That's what I said. She she's making as close to ghost face as one can, <laughs> and you know what? It's just great. Um, I was also going to suggest my other favorite horror film, The Blair Witch Project, but I remember that Gab told that movie to go fuck itself in the National Lampoon's Vacation episode. Honestly, I stand by that. That movie can go fuck itself. It is so fucking stupid. It is not scary. You don't see anything. It's just fucking blackness for two hours. To be fair, the movie was made for like $2 and a pack of gum and cool. started something that really wasn't done before then with found footage. So I think it deserves a little more credit than you're giving it. And I, I say it should unfuck itself. So that it was show, the first found footage fucked. one. Not the very first, but it popularized the genre. Interesting. Uh, okay. And where was I here? I don't know if all these films will scare Gab, but here are also some recommendations for films that are horror adjacent, very tense thrillers. Gab, just because I want to assume it now, just tell me if you haven't seen it when I finish saying the title. Okay. Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Oh, thank God. Yes. Maybe I've seen it's too much of an obvious choice, but a great film. And I, I think it should be an obvious choice. That's like peak cinema, as the kids say these yeah. days. Didn't scare me, though. No, I, I wouldn't call it a horror movie as much as it's more of like a thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. Insomnia. A forgotten Christopher Nolan no. classic. No, I have not seen it either. Zodiac, a great film that shows David Fincher's love for true crime stories and a very scary biographical film. Nope. Maybe we do that someday. And you know what? Since uh, since you're putting me through a, a long episode and a couple weeks, a long movie, maybe maybe I'll put you through that one. It's a long movie. Oh, dear. On to, I believe this is the one you requested when Pedro gave us the three options. Obscure but beloved films. Some yes. of his personal favorites. The Before Trilogy, starting with Before Sunrise, it's a beautiful romance film directed by Richard Linklater and starring Julia Delpy and Ethan Hawke. I was going to suggest yes. it for Valentine's, but the time has passed. So you've seen this one? I have. I've seen them both. Or all three. I have not seen any of these. You know what? I'm going to tell you the truth, Dylan. It's a little boring. Yeah, I mean, it's from the same guy who made Boyhood, which as impressive as the filmmaking was of it, it's like, it's not a very exciting movie either. Yeah, also made yeah. School like of they're Rock, just... though. Which that is true. I vibe Great real movie. hard with. Yeah. It's just they're sitting on a train and they're talking and like it's just a lot of sitting and talking and then they like go to a fountain and talk and then they walk and talk like and the dialogue is good and the story is nice. But like it just it's it's not it's not for me. I'll just continue with what he says about it then. Please. The film series is not very well known and barely made any money. But these are some of my favorite films of all time. Sorry. Sorry, Sorry Pedro. Uh, there's enough in the film to have some interesting discussions, especially if Giselle and Corey could be guests. Apparently oh. they will not. We have we have already denied you. <laughs> Ingmar Bergman's Persona. I don't think I can describe this film. It's a Bergman film, so expect weird stuff. I love it. It's a very well-regarded film, but not very well-known. This is the kind of film that just stays in your head after you watch it. I do not know it. Do you know it? Nope. 
Now, this next one I do know. The Warriors, 1979. Do you know it? Nope. Oh, that's a maybe. That's a maybe at some point. A lost classic from the 70s that now has a cult following. I watched this one when I was a teenager and even played the PS2 game based on it. I don't remember how well it aged, but I have a lot of fond memories of it. Basically, the Warriors is just a bunch of gangs and they have a meeting and then one gang gets blamed for something that happens at the meeting and all the gangs are trying to get that one gang. But the gangs are like not realistic looking at all. Uh Like the one I always think of is there's a gang called the Baseball Furies and they wear pinstripes and their faces are like painted like half one color, half another color. And like they just carry around bats like nobody has guns. Yeah, they're just like they don't even say anything. They look like mimes almost. And they're just like going to beat you up with this bat. And it's like ridiculous (laughs) looking. That's silly. Lastly, some kind of wonderful. I remember this film after watching The Legend of Billie Jean. It's a forgotten John Hughes film since he only wrote and didn't direct it. It's a coming-of-age love story, and out of all John Hughes films, I think this may have aged better than some. Never seen it. Never heard of it. Never. I think I've heard of it, but definitely never seen it. Lastly, Brazilian films. The classics of my culture. I tried to find some that are not always in movie lists, but be aware some of them may be hard to find. Dylan, get ready to say some unusual names. Oh, no. Elite Squad 1 and Elite Squad 2. I remember Cap saying she does not enjoy cops being the good guys in the RoboCop episode. I'll tell you this. Cops are the protagonists, but are not the good guy in these movies. These are two culturally important films for my country, but also have some flaws which I believe make for good discussion. Those are the films that propelled a Brazilian actor, Wagner Moura, into stardom here. That name sounds so familiar. I think he might be in Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Oh, my God. (laughs) I think he's the bad guy. I might be wrong. I'll have to look it up later. Oh, my God. And he is now having some success in the U.S. Funny enough, the director of these films, Jose Padilla, have fun pronouncing that, Dylan. I fucking nailed it, Pedro. Directed the Robocop remake, which at the time gave everyone hopes for the film. But sadly, the results did not seem to do well. Last stop, 174. This is a fictional account of a real life person. It's about a boy's life in the streets of Rio de Janeiro and where it led him. I haven't watched in years, but I remember loving it. At Midnight, I'll Take Your Soul, which is kind of a cool name. This one is a triple. It's a horror classic, obscure and beloved, and also Brazilian. This film introduces one of the most famous characters in Brazil's horror history, Coffin Joe. Elijah Wood has plans to... Are you laughing <laughs> at Coffin Joe? Joe. <laughs> it sounds like something that uh, people call Joe Biden when they don't like him. It also sounds like he'd be the mortal enemy of like Joe Camel, where it's like Joe Camel's four cigarettes and Coffin Joe's like, <laughs> you think cigarettes are great, do you? <laughs> Like, thank goodness Coffin Joe's out there getting the people out of this addiction. Oh, my God. Wait, so tell me how it's spelled. Is it C-O-F-F-I-N or C-O-U-G-H-I-N? I almost don't want to tell you now, but as a horror <laughs> villain, it's obviously C-O-F-F-I-N. <laughs> that was so good, though. I'm so proud of you for making that joke. Thank you. Elijah Wood has plans <laughs> to reboot Coffin Joe <laughs> and is going to make a film with the character. Now, as some of these Brazilian films may be hard to find, I'll suggest some very well-known classics in case you can't find the others. City of God. This is the ultimate Brazilian film, one of our most famous. I almost didn't want to suggest it. The film was our best shot at winning the Best Foreign Film Oscar in 2003, but it lost every Oscar it was nominated for. Sadly, Peter Jackson in Return of the King would not be denied. Mm. Oh, fuck. Good luck with this next name, Dylan. Carandaru? Spell it, spell it. C-A-R-A-N-D-I-R-U? That's what I would have said. Carandaru. I mean, you probably have to roll the R. Carandaru. (laughs) <laughs> this is a classic Brazilian film. It's about one of the most horrific episodes in our history. Oh, I feel bad now. Oh, with my <laughs> I should have said it sadder. Carandaru. <laughs> I thought about this one because I never watched it. It's been on my radar for years and I never saw it. But I know this is one of the films that gets on a lot of Brazilian lists. 
Last one, Central Station. Another classic for my country that I did not watch. It's a very beloved film here. It was nominated for Best Foreign Film, and Fernanda Montenegro, who starred in the film, was nominated for Best Actress. By the way, that woman is a treasure in our country. Imagine if you combine Helen Mirren with Meryl Streep. That's how loved she is here. My God, Meryl Mirren. She'll never be stopped. <laughs> anyway, these are my suggestions. I hope some of these films for the type you want to watch. I still have 13 movies to watch from all your episodes, so don't worry. It's possible that these emails will always be a little behind. See you next week. That was sweet. You know what? It has me thinking, though. If you had to recommend a movie, like 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 classic American movies to a Brazilian, like what kind of trash would you pick? What like represents America? I don't know why. My mind immediately goes to Westerns. I'm like, The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> I immediately went to American Pie. <laughs> oh, gosh. Team America, World Police. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, oh, we got God. one last email from Scotty okay. Cameron. Robocop or Dick, you're fired. <laughs> hey, Dylan and Gab, great show as always. For whatever reason, YouTube is removing any comments I write that are more than a paragraph long, so that's why they've gotten shorter. So I will just use the email to get the thoughts out that I would normally get across in these comments. Robocop is a classic and definitely a movie to watch before you die. Thank, thank you, Pedro and Scotty. Gab does not think so. Peter Weller is phenomenal as Robocop in how he was able to convey his humanity by only showing half of his face until the third act when Lewis unscrews his helmet. Also, the rivalry between Boddicker and Robocop is a well-fleshed-out one and comes to a climactic end when they fight in the junkyard. I do also love how those are sniper rifles that fire explosives in this future. I did find the terrible death-falling scene hilarious because of how poorly it aged. I actually love how amusing it is to watch. I knew Robocop was satire, largely because I'm familiar with Paul Verhoeven and his filmography. He is well-known for his satires about society, politics, and even the genres that films are a part of. There's even a point in the film where a news anchor says that Robocop was only something that people would have seen in comics until that point, making a little dig at the superhero genre, which was kind of funny since the film side of the genre was largely in its infancy at the time of Robocop. The first few Christopher Reeve Superman films predate it. I think on the television side, you had Adam West, Batman, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, George Reeve, Superman, Nicholas Hammond, Spider-Man, and Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, Hulk. The film could draw some tropes to satire, satirize. From what I remember of Starship Troopers, Gab, have you ever seen Starship Troopers? No. Alrighty then. The film satirizes Star Wars and Star Trek style sci-fi films in a similar manner to how Robocop satirized the superhero genre. Neither Starship Troopers nor Robocop goes as meta as Scream does with its genre satire. The primary focus of the satire in Verhoeven's films is largely on the societal and political climates of the time the movies were made and relevant issues. Robocop is a satire about corporate greed, Starship Troopers is a satire about the state of war, and Total Recall is a satire about colonialism. I think that a huge part of what the Total Recall and Robocop remakes miss was that they are satires. The remakes understood the films were social commentaries, but forgot that satire was the vehicle the commentary was delivered through. Dylan, I have seen all four Robocop movies, which confused the fuck out of me for a second because there's only three, but I guess the remake counts. <laughs> I do get what you're getting at with some of the goofiness of the sequels being entertaining, like Otomo in three and the failed Robocops in two. Aside from those movies, aside from that, those movies were trash. Kane and McDaggart were lame villains. The Robo Kane aged horribly and three recast Robocop. Which, once again, to go back to SVU Connections, Gav, do you watch SVU? Yes. Do you know the guy who's uh, IAB, the Rat Squad guy, who's like, Stabler, you gotta stop beating the perps. Yes! He plays Robocop in the third one. Oh my god! He's unfortunately not nearly as good. Uh... But I really like that guy, because I'm always like, hey, it's the Rat Squad guy! <laughs> He's also awesome in the movie Thinner, which I don't know if you've ever seen. Mm -mm. I will give two credit for giving more insight to the Murphy family and adding more character to Clara Murphy. I just wish that actually went somewhere. 
I also found Robocop shooting at a smoker to tell him to stop smoking hilarious. Funny, I saw that clip of Robocop 2 back when I first started watching YouTube in 07 and didn't realize that the Robocop movies were R-rated until people hated the fact that the remake was PG-13, which I get having an issue with. Also, the Total Recall remake was rated PG-13. In terms of the remake, yeah, it's not a good movie. Although I did like having Robocop investigate his own murder and discover who killed him and how he died. Also, Corrupt Cops actually aided and abetted his murder in the remake. I already praised the performance work of Keaton, Oldman, Samuel L. Jackson, and Jack Earl Haley. I bet Gab will watch the remake on the grounds that Keaton is in the movie. Yes. I think Joel Kinnaman was a fine Robocop, nowhere near as great as Peter Weller by any stretch of the imagination, but better than Robert John Burke from Robocop 3. Robert John Burke, that's the Rat Squad guy. Mm. The remake weirdly changes the character names for everyone except Alex and Clara Murphy. Dick Jones is now Raymond Sellers. Bob Morton is changed to Dennett Norton. And Clarence Boddicker is changed to Anthony Vallon. Okay. I'm glad Judge Dredd came up as a topic of discussion because I had watched the Robocop movies in full after I'd seen the two Judge Dredd films and noticed a lot of similarities. One is that Judge Dredd and Robocop are both satire set in dystopic futures. Yes, 2000 AD, the comic line that introduced Judge Dredd is a British satire about American culture set in a dystopic future where America has collapsed and Mega City 1 was built in its place. However, there is no law enforcement in Mega City 1 and a group of people called the judges step in to enforce the rule of law. I must say that as far as films go, the 2012, 2012 film Dredd is a much better adaptation of the material. Carl Urban is great as Judge Dredd. In fact, the your sentence death line in the verdict intro is from the 2012 film because I know that's Carl Urban's voice, not Sylvester Stallone's. Yes, the only thing that I use, the only I have never seen the original Judge Dredd, but I've seen the clip a thousand times with the guy going, it's Stallone and I don't remember the name of the other guy and he's vaguely famous, but he goes, you forgot about the law. That's like Stallone. And the other guy just goes, law. And I, I just love it. I love it every time. <laughs> The 1990 film was bad. It has Judge Dredd show his face, which is something the character should never do, which I can tell was influenced by the casting call of Stallone in the title role. Funny enough, the 2014 Robocop strengthened the similarities between Robocop and Judge Dredd by giving Robocop a motorcycle and submachine gun that resembles Judge Dredd's Lawmaker 1. Now I wonder if the Robocop remake was piggybacking off of Dredd, given that Dredd came out two years before the Robocop remake did. Lastly, Dylan, you forgot to mention that Peter Weller played Admiral Marcus in Star Trek Into Darkness when mentioning other parts Peter Weller played. Star Trek means nothing to me, Scotty. I also will add that Peter Weller voiced Robocop in Mortal Kombat 11 and is going to voice Robocop in the upcoming video game Robocop Rogue City. Also, I just realized that the facts have no place with an organized religion quote. In the facts intro was a Super Nintendo Chalmers quote that was played by Hank Azaria. Thank you, Pedro, for writing about the birdcage because that occurred to me when you brought up Hank Azaria and the unforgettable luncheon in the birdcage. I would definitely like to hear some of Pedro's insights on Brazilian culture. You just did, motherfucker. I've learned a bit about Brazilian politics from listening to the late, great Michael Brooks and Glenn Greenwald before Glenn lost his mind. I would like a bit more of a cultural angle. Whew. That was a lot of reading. I just want to say, while you were reading, I went and looked up um, Robert John Burke because that name sounded so familiar. And I realized he was um, on Gossip Girl. And he was on the show from 2007 to 2012. I was on the show from 2012 to 2000. No, I'm sorry. I was on the show from 2011 to 2013. Nope. 12. I, 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 either way. Um, we okay. never worked together, but he was on the show. Of course you didn't. You were never part of, you know, you never had to get ratted on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, I think they killed off his character at some point. Um. And I don't I, remember why. I am just now picturing and really hoping that they would cross over Gossip Girl with SVU. Like, oh I want to see Stavewood take one of those punks and be like, you think it's a game? And the kids just start crying. <laughs> like, I think that'd be great. Uh, it, according to this, it looks like he left to do Army Wives, which I remember filmed in Atlanta. I, You know, I, I hope it 
paid him more because Army Wives is different. Well, no, I don't care about Gossip Girl either. It's all crap to me. Yeah, it's all crap. But anyway, um, yeah, I never met him. I don't know anything about him, but I do love uh, his work. All right. Enough of this crap. Enough of Robert John Burke. Enough of our longest mail time segment ever. Should we get back to Love and Death and our very uncomfortable Woody Allen conversations? Please. Do or do not. There is no try. The guilty will be punished. Sentence to death. Obviously, I believe this is a movie to watch before you die. I think this is the most accessible of Woody Allen's films because it is the it's not too sort of out of control like bizarre and it's not too lofty and intellectual it kind of falls right in the middle of the two um I think it is hilarious I think it conquers really important questions and leaves room for discussion and my hope is that people can enjoy this and his other films without necessarily feeling like they have to have, um, I don't want to say they have to have strong feelings, but that they that they can't in- appreciate his work because they don't appreciate his person. I certainly think that, you know, having having watched the movie, I very much enjoyed the movie and did find it very funny. I certainly do not appreciate Woody Allen, the person. Um, you know, was I thinking about that while I was watching it? Not really, except the time when the cousin thing is mentioned. That was the only moment where I like reality crept back in for me. Which, again, I they, think they explain in, later that they're like very distant cousins or something. And also in those Russian, like in those literate piece of literature, like that's the thing, like they're cousins. Like that's yeah. a that's just a that had nothing. It wasn't like his choice. Yes, that could be. That's him more playing off the literature of the time than um, yeah. <laughs> him being like, that's like what your head on my cutter, cousin? Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was very funny. The longer the story went on, the less I liked the story. Like, I didn't really care for the story at all. Um, I'm probably not going to watch it again. I had a really good time while I did watch it, though. What if Giselle was like, I kind of want to see this movie. I'd watch it with her if she wanted to. But I can tell you, I told her what I thought were the funniest lines and she took no interest. Well, you, you, you have to be there. Yeah. And, you know. Having seen some other Woody Allen movies, it wasn't my favorite of them either. What have you seen? Uh, Sleepers, Bananas, Midnight in Paris. Um, those are the big three that come to my mind without looking at his IMDb. Okay. Which one did you like better? All three. Okay. I think Midnight in Paris. Like bananas so- I saw when I was like 10 years old, and I still remember to this fucking day. Yeah. The woman... <laughs> Who got bit by a snake on her breast and the entire village of Fender chasing after her. Because as a 10-year-old, that was the funniest fucking thing I ever saw. But that's the thing. Like, it's funny when you're 10. Like, his humor just developed. This but movie I, would have been I, much I, less funny if I was 10. <laughs> that's true. I do think it is hard to compare Midnight in Paris or any of his more recent films to the older ones because the style of filmmaking is so different. Like, Midnight in Paris is a magical masterpiece. It's but you can't much compare more it refined. to from the 70s. Yeah. Like, and that's another thing on a technical level, like there's so much wrong with this movie. Yes. If you, yeah, if you want to look for it, like if Vince is watching to find out focus and things like that, Vince, you'd find a lot of shit wrong in love and death. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I it's think that's a, part of its charm. It's not a movie to watch before you die for me. <laughs> Even separating the art from the artist. 
It's not quite a movie to watch before you die. Do you know I've had to pee this whole time? And I held it in. I thought it would be worth it. It was not worth it. I am so sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> what the fuck is the matter with you? It was funny. There were some jokes that went on too long. There were some takes that feel like they shouldn't have been left in. The story was not that good. Because you didn't get it. <laughs> you didn't get RoboCop. Here we are. This RoboCop suck. Whoa, pump the brakes, kid. <laughs> you look at any list of the, like, the top movies, RoboCop's going to be higher than Love and Death, I'll bet you. Well, that's the thing, though, Dylan. I wasn't going to pick his most famous fucking movie because, number one, we're not supposed to do that on this podcast. And number two, I thought this was such a good representation of all the things he's good at. And it's like a B-side. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to sh- be like, oh, we should watch Annie Hall. Yeah, we, we could watch Annie Hall at some point, though. That's like one of the most famous movies of all time. I can't I know, believe you've but never, I've never seen, seen it. it. You've never seen Jaws, Gab. You've never seen Jaws. Yeah, but I don't. I didn't used to have a Tumblr where I fucking did movie reviews. Hey, don't you use that against me, <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. That's not even on this episode. Um, oh, oh, my, my God. God. You're right. That was the, that's the mail time for like three episodes ago now. God damn it. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm going to keep using it against you. Oh, Listen. Great. Is it is it not a movie to watch before you die because you don't think it is an like because of the movie or because of Woody Allen? Because of the movie. If you loved it, you would have said yes, despite the fact that it's a Woody yes. Allen film. Okay. Then I'll take that as a win. <laughs> okay. Um I'm devastated. I'm so the sorry. The birdcage. Yeah. They're... Love and death. I'm sorry. If you want, I've already picked out my movie for next week, and it's also a comedy. So <laughs> I feel like we, we could do this again next week, and you can tell me how wrong I am. All right. Well, what's the movie? All right. I wanted to... I feel like we... Wait, been... hold on. I want to say something really quick. This Go is right this comment is specifically to Vitz, because I do think he will watch this movie. This is an 85-minute movie. This movie is not even an hour and a half. It's a quick watch. It's silly from beginning to end. Which, by the way, fuck you for not even mentioning. It's so quick. It's so silly. It's over before you know it. And it's just a delight from start to finish. And that 85 minutes still drags a couple times. <laughs> there well, are some from scenes the 70s. that you like, eh. Yeah, because it's from the 70s. They all drag. So what? No, they didn't. Fuck you. Um, all right. What were you going to say? Oh, my movie pick for next week. Yeah. So I wanted to go with something more recent because we've been doing a few older movies lately. Um, Let me find out the year from it, just because I feel like that would be more helpful for me to say right now. So the year that I'm going to find out right now as I'm typing it, uh, I went with the comedy Game Night. Have you seen it? You know what's? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Uh, I feel like you're angry <laughs> I feel like I was looking already like she's like, I'm going to roast this movie no matter what. No, no, no. <laughs> I thought I have seen Date Night with Tina Fey and Steve Carell oh, I didn't like one time, yeah. but different movie. That's no, what confused me. Game Night from 2018 starring Jason Bateman and uh, Rachel McAdams. Okay. So until we come back next week and talk about Game Night, Kev, do you want to get over your disappointment and say some of the things we usually say at the end of this thing? Yeah, so listen, you can leave a comment on YouTube. You can um, subscribe on YouTube. You can send a voice note at anchor.fm slash movies to watch. You can send us an email at movies to watch before you die at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram. You can send me a Venmo. And most importantly, you can keep the art and the artist separate. <laughs> and to quote Gap, Ignition didn't rape anyone. Excuse me, the remix to it, Ignition. 
That's true. Sorry. The remix. Sorry, We're my quote was hot and fresh art. out the kitchen there. My bad. <laughs> um, also, I just want to uh, say again, like, I'm not I'm not a bad person and I don't like I don't <laughs> like I just feel like maybe I painted myself in a bad oh, light. Damn. We had so nailed the ending there. <laughs> that you just, so cut this. Cut I'm going to cut it at I'm not a bad person. <laughs> what can you say? It's it's not the the quantity of your sexual relations that count. It's the quality. On the other hand, if the quantity drops below once every eight months, I would definitely look into it. Well, that's about it for me, folks. Goodbye.